Welcome to episode 33 of the Dare to Dream podcast. My name is Vincent Van Patten. And I'm Gregory Russell Benedict. And this is a podcast for people who want to get the absolute most out of life. And today we are super excited to bring you guys a very special episode. We are bringing on our second ever guest. And this is a real Wonder Woman. She's a successful actress starring in over 20 movies and a dozen television shows. She's a certified hypnotist and life coach with a master's in spiritual psychology. And most importantly, she is my mom. Um, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you. First, let me just say I didn't get my master's, but I did a master's program because what I did, I was able to do the program having not gone to college, but you get a certain number of hours. And I did later get certified as a life, life coach from the same program. So. That is fantastic. We will mark that as strike one for my homework. <laughs> Clarified early on. Your name is Betsy Russell, and uh, yeah, it is an absolute honor. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot that I perhaps did not know before. So very excited. Hey, me too. So let's just jump straight into it. Uh, we'll, we'll start with a big question, but the big question is, when was the first time that you dared to dream of becoming an actress? Um, I think about this a lot and I, I do believe that people are born to do certain things. And I think that I started performing for my mother, um, when I was probably about five years old. So I think I had the idea that I could cheer her up from, she had depression and a lot of sadness. And I started doing, you know, like little scenes from I Love Lucy and Sonny and Cher and all those things when I was probably five or six. <clears throat> and then I think I saw myself on a little video monitor or something. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, is that me? I look so cute. And then after that, I just, it was pretty much all I could think about. So very young. That's amazing. I did not have the same reaction when I saw myself on screen as a child. <laughs> I know. I, I do think that I, it's kind of a weird thing to admit, but I've just always been honest. And that's really what I remember thinking. And I was obsessed with becoming an actress and I got my mom to take me down to try to get me an agent. And the agent said, you know, there's nothing really happening down in San Diego. Come back when you're 16. So I remember thinking, I'm just going to throw myself into school and forget about acting for a while, which of course I didn't. I threw myself into school, but I started doing junior theater and some classes and acting and some performing from a very early age and didn't really stop ever. That's amazing. And at the risk of having strike two in my homework come up right <laughs> near the beginning, um, I was reading that you starred in a Pepsi commercial in high school. Yeah, so that was my first uh, professional gig. I, I actually... I had starred in a couple of plays in high school, but I had convinced myself that I was just going to go to college. I had Colorado kind of in my head. Um, and one day somebody I knew, he was a model and he left me a mess or no, there weren't messages. He called me and he said, they're auditioning for Pepsi commercials down, down here. And why don't you go? He gave me the address, go audition. And I got the commercial and they kind of featured me. It was about five different girls, uh, on horses actually and they kind of featured me you know the director kind of made me it felt like he made me the star of the commercial I just felt very comfortable and after that it changed my whole life and I then very soon after that 
the principal of my school came and told me that I had enough credits to graduate high school early, which I was shocked, but I guess I had ended up writing most of the school paper and I loved it. And so I said, okay, well, I guess if I'm graduating early, I'm going to move to New York. And that didn't work out. I ended up moving to LA the day after graduation. I was 17. You have the credits to graduate middle school early. You're going to be a star. High school. High school. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. Yes. Can you tell the story of when, you know, when you decided to leave and what it was like leaving home, San Diego, and going to LA? I remember distinctly. So my dad and my stepmom were in the living room, and I came in to tell them that I was graduating early and that I was going to move out. And I yelled to them from, I walked into the kitchen. That was how we entered my dad's house. I was living with my dad and my stepmom. And I screamed, I'm graduating early and I'm moving to New York. <laughs> I don't know why it was sort of a long distance conversation. Maybe I was afraid what my dad would say. And I remember him yelling back, no, you're not. And I said, oh no. And then Paula, my stepmom from the other room also yelled, well, yes, she can. I left home when I was 17. And, and then my dad said, okay, I guess you can. So I was actually going to move in with a cousin who lived in New York. I didn't know her all that well, but lo and behold, right before this was all going to happen, she called and told me she was getting engaged and I couldn't move in with her. So plan B was LA. And a friend of mine just happened to be coming up to LA to check out UCLA and this is a very long answer, but it's really, I believe it's so karmic how it happened. Um, I said, oh, can I come with you? And she said, sure. So I said, all right, well, maybe I'll check out apartments too, you know, cause I'm gonna be graduating soon and I wanna move there the next day. And sure enough, I went to UCLA. I looked in the glass case there. There was a lot of, you know, we want this roommates, the whole thing. And there was this one little, five by seven card it said looking for a roommate I think she said an actress and two other girls looking for a roommate so I called the number and sure enough John Brody was a big football player in that time and it was his daughter and she said oh yeah you know we've got a two-bedroom in Westwood come on up and so that happened and I went to lunch with my friends that day and I got a job. I told the guy at the restaurant, can I work here when I graduate in a few months? He said, sure. So it really just all fell into place, I believe. Very interesting question. Do you think with in your time period with my dad and you and just, do you think it's harder now or just what do you think are the differences with my generation trying to find kind of what next steps you're going to take with social media and is there more of an added pressure or do you feel like it was maybe you had a little bit more freedom to take a leap of faith when in your time yes i think i think with social media i think here's what i think it's everything has completely changed in my day and it was in 1981 if you were going to be an actress, you were an actress. You didn't do rap songs on the side. You didn't represent brands. 
you didn't, I mean, I remember going to Japan and seeing like Tom Cruise or somebody like that in a commercial. And I was shocked. You couldn't do commercials if you wanted to be like, I started doing TV right away, but then I started also acting in movies. And after I started getting some starring roles in movies, I never wanted to go back and do TV. I got offered a soap. I got offered a lot of different things and you just couldn't go from one to the next to the next. So now it's completely different. And the goal is just to become famous. And if you're famous, the top percentage can do everything. So that doesn't leave, I mean, even actors are on the cover of magazines now, you know, so many times it was only models. So I think everything's changed and obviously you don't have to be, you know, super talented to be an influencer. Although I know that that's difficult to always come up with content, but everything has completely changed now. And the goal is just to be famous, whether it's from the Bachelor series or The Voice or whatever. And then, you know, you can get an agent at William Morris because if you have a lot of followers, they're, they're going to want to put you, you know, in a starring role in a movie or a TV show or whatever. It's very, very different. And I would venture to say, yes, that it is probably, well, easier in one way now because you have a lot more control over if you want to be an influencer, you can make that happen yourself. I think if you've got what it takes and you're willing to work hard. So it's a lot more, I feel like it's more in control of the person rather than just the agents and, and the producers. This is a good segue. What do you think you've learned? I mean, tell us first about your experience in spiritual psychology and how can people use those skills to find out what they really want to pursue in their life? Perhaps. <laughs> well, that is it. A big question, okay, yeah, we'll because I don't think that I had, that's that's kind of a big segue thing, because back in the day, I did start going to therapy very young when I was about 21, and the therapist did tell me that I should become a therapist, and she did, within a few sessions, start telling me all of her problems, so I think, in a way, the seed was planted, and people came to me my whole life telling me their problems, and I told them what I thought was good advice, but I was never sure. And so when I started studying spiritual psychology, I went to a school, University of Santa Monica, that I heard when you went to the school, you were going to know yourself and did this program, you were going to know yourself better than you ever imagined when you left the school. And what I took away from that is that we have the skills to understand ourselves better. So I use the analogy, it's like if you have a car and it breaks down and you're not a mechanic, but you open the hood and you look inside and it looks fine, but the car is not running. That's basically how I feel like people are walking around the world, feeling broken, feeling like we're victims, feeling like we're not okay, but we don't have the slightest idea why. So knowing what I know now, and you asked me, did I know it then? I didn't know any of it then, nothing. I knew nothing. Right. I was passive aggressive. I would get upset about something and I wouldn't, then I would judge the thought that was making me upset. Like I shouldn't be upset about that. And then it would make me more upset. And then I would just walk around kind of angry, but not thinking that I had the right to talk about it or to admit I was angry. So I don't do that anymore. 
So that's one of, that's one of the reasons I went to University of Santa Monica. I remember when they said, why is everyone here? Get up and talk and say why you're here. And I said, I'm here because I'm a powder. And when I'm upset, I pout and I don't want to do that anymore. It's not serving me. And it's, it's not serving anyone in my life. That's, you know, my boyfriend, my kids or anything. I want to be able to understand what's going on with me and move past it quicker. Do you think that having your successful acting career almost made it harder to understand yourself? I don't think uh, having an acting career made it harder to understand myself. I think anybody that doesn't have even, you know, that doesn't go to therapy or doesn't have parents or friends or some type of a mentor coaching them, I think it's going to be like a foreign language trying to understand ourselves. We're not born with a rule book of how to know yourself and how to communicate with yourself and others. That's just not, that's why I'm such an advocate for talking about this and coaching other people and teaching this stuff in schools. I think it's so important. I could not agree with that more. That's uh, part of what I'm doing with the nonprofit I started is to make personal development part of education. And a huge component of that is the self-discovery, finding out what makes you come alive, what you care about, who, why you are who you are, and really how to use your strengths and weaknesses to live a life that you're truly excited about. Yeah. And I have a whole speech that I've written. It's about a 20 minute speech that is just about that exact thing. It's about um, dreaming big and following your dreams and understanding how to make those dreams a reality and also just how to get through the day to day and understand yourself. So from that, it sounds like you would argue that it's almost an, an imperative that we follow our dreams, that that's how we unlock our true potential? I think that there's a lot of ways to unlock our, our potential, but I think it's a luxury to, to realize that we have a dream and then to be able to jump off that ledge and, and just fly and not worry if we're going to land or not. It's, it's, a not, it's not a lot of percentage of people that are brave enough to do that and to leave their job like you guys did or to, you know, quits or go to school or to even admit that they have a dream that, that they want to pursue because most people are going to say you're crazy or, you know, uh, why would you leave a good thing? I mean, just to sort of segue more to what I do now, which is called Three Principles, thought, mind, and consciousness. And that's not even important. It's, it's, so after I left University of Santa Monica, whole people from my school were finding this new modality. And, um, and it's all about thought and mood identification. And it was founded by a guy named Sid Banks, who did just that when he was an adult, he, he kind of had a metamorphosis that, you know, he went to therapy and the therapist, he said, the therapist said, why are you there? And Sid said, because I'm insecure. And the therapist came back the next day and said, you know, I just had a thought. I don't think you're insecure. I think you just have insecure thinking. And this was a guy that had an eighth grade education. He was a welder. That's how he supported his family welding. And he had a metamorphosis and the light just went off and for three days he just sat there 
thinking about what this meant for him. And he went home and told his wife and her mother that he was a changed man. He was going to quit his job and that there were going to be, you know, spiritual leaders from all over the world coming to hear him speak and that he, they were going to be traveling. And sure enough, that happened within a month. So, you know, when he went to quit his welding job, that his boss said, wait a second, do you have money saved? And he said, no. And they said, do you have another job? And he said, no. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, you'll see. So sometimes it does. It's just a divine thing, like with him, just three days of just, you know, seeing the light. But a lot of people aren't brave enough to do that. And um, I think it's I think it's amazing when you have parents that say go for it or you have friends that support you or mentors or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, thank you for that. <laughs> and <laughs> do you think how can we encourage people to take the first step? Because when you do doors open that you couldn't have imagined before you took that step. So how do you get past that barrier of even uh, getting out of your own way? Well, you guys are doing it lead by example and get the word out there as much as you possibly can interview people, get your podcast out, go into schools. Like, you know, I'll come with you. If you can figure out how to get it. <laughs> I have a very good hunch that you guys are better at business than I am, but yeah, write about it, talk about it, be the example and show the way, you know, because people just need mentors. That's what I always told you, Vinny, right? That you need mentors at a certain point. I mean, our whole lives really, but, and if you're, we're lucky enough to, to just sort of see that and, and understand that this person is doing what I want to do, it's like a positive projection. You're, they want something that we want. And what people are going to see in you is that you guys did it. And if you can do it, then why can't I do it? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Still searching. The mentorship thing is, is interesting. I, it's something that I've kind of been grappling with, I guess. I mean, I, I don't have a clear mentor in exactly what I want to do because I don't know specifically what, the heck I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so I guess it's, it's hard trying to find, you know, mentors who I've seen exactly what they have. And that's precisely what I want, but I've clearly had people, you and my dad, um, Eileen and just positive examples of shown me that if you do go for your dreams and anything really is possible. So I think it's maybe taking not the label off of mentoring, but just yeah, seeing people who you want to emulate and not being afraid to, to ask questions and kind of just be open to the new experiences. That's it. What I think you and I tell your brother also, um, be bold. When you see somebody doing something that you want to do, send them a note, send them a letter, keep reaching out to them, keep saying, hey, you know, can I work for you? Can I be your friend. Can I have a conversation with you? Can I take you to lunch? Pick their brain. How did they get there? Um, you know, just anytime you see something that you want a part of, just really kind of like go for it. I mean, that's all I can suggest. That's what I did. You know, I just see people that I want to emulate and I would just talk to them. I would try to, you know, get in their little circle and, and do what they were doing. And, you know, it kind of just works after a while. I mean, and you say like, how, I don't know what I want to do. With the, you're doing it. You don't have to know what you want to do because you might 
do five or 10 or 20 or 30 different things. And you might end up when you're 85, still finding new things you want to do. It doesn't have to be an end game. You know, the truth is like you've heard a million times, the journey is what it's all about. So there doesn't have to be an end game, you know, as long as you're supporting yourself, which, you know, you are, even though you're a wait or you will be, hopefully, even though you're going to be waiting tables. I mean, you don't know that you're not going to end up in the restaurant business too, or owning businesses. It's all part of it. Yeah. I love that. I just started reading a book last week by John Kabat-Zinn that's called wherever you go, there you are. But it's essentially saying like, you aren't, you don't have to wait to figure out what you want to do with your life. Like what you're doing right now is life and the current moment, the present moment is all we have. And so focus on the here and now and great things will unfold. Yeah. My dad used to always say, we are where we want to be. And I'd say, but dad, this or that, or I want to do this. He says, we are where we want to be period. I I don't know. Yeah. It just me is very relaxing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the only words I ever heard him speak. Uh, <laughs> so quick question for you on the, I love how you said that you would just go up to people who were doing things you wanted to do and just talk to them and ask to be their friend and just ask questions and learn from them. Do you think that if someone were to approach you and use the word mentor or ask you to be their mentor, it would be different than just approaching someone and asking to be their friend? I had the same question. Um, can you, can you ask that in a little bit of a different way? I don't quite understand. Absolutely. So in my personal experience, I've noticed that some people view the word mentor as a huge commitment and kind of this really heavy thing. And Mm -hmm. so I asked someone to be my mentor and they said like, no, I don't have time for that. And then we became friends and we end up talking more than I anticipated in this whole mentorship thing. And so I think, I think sometimes it's just like removing the formality and just being like, get, get to know the person as a friend and just ask questions. Well, what I do, it's very simple is if somebody says, Hey, cause they do all the time and friends, not friends, whatever people at the gym, any, anywhere, you know, what do you, what exactly, how do you coach? What do you do? And I say, I teach, you know, it's, I teach the nature of thought and how that affects our lives. And I always say, I give the first session complimentary for free. So why don't we just have a session and we'll talk. And a lot of times one session can change your life. And I truly believe that one conversation with somebody can change your whole life. So I give people books to read and YouTube things to watch. And a lot of times they don't need any more than that because they're like, oh my God, that just, that told me everything I needed to know. So it doesn't have to be such a daunting thing of what is a mentor? Are you going to be hanging out with me all the time? Are you staying at my house? No one's ever said (laughs) to me, can you be my mentor? And if they did, I'd say, hey, let me just give you a session. That may be all you need. And if it's not, you're going to have plenty of tools to, to show you what you need to know. It's simple as that. Just start asking questions. Like I, yeah, I've never said no to a question ever. Alfred told me to email Professor Ruchnik for the philosophy course. I did yesterday. Me and Greg were talking about this and sent him the the grammar (laughs) police. Uh, (laughs) And I sent him this big um, email about philosophy and my, my love for it and how I started getting into it after school. Never took any philosophy classes and pretty much asked 
So what next step should I take? Like, I obviously it's a big question, but if you have any advice, be all, all ears, very appreciative. By the way, I sent you my book like to Boston University. So it should be in your office. <laughs> so go out. And he responded. He said, uh, like, thank you for the message. I don't go to my office much, but wish you the best. Didn't really give anything, but we were just saying it doesn't really matter. All that happens is you put the energy into the universe. I did everything I could, and you never know what's gonna happen. So well, I, he's gonna I, read the book. He, is he the one that told you to write a book? No, I he did he's through the great courses which anybody could take it's pretty much um hey you can learn about anything i've been telling you to take it for a long time it's it's awesome um he just has like so he's just a, a famous professor from boston university in philosophy yeah. and so i just paid like 30 dollars, took introduction to greek philosophy and plato's republic class on that um just as him as a lecturer and emailed him and got back to me Good for you. Well, he might not have any advice right now, but when yeah, he does, a... when something comes to him, he may then let you know because, yeah. you know, people like that are smart enough to, if they don't have something to say, they're not going to beat around the bush. But if he does, he may. And especially after he reads your, your book, he may. But just the fact that you asked him is stepping out of your comfort zone. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, Greg, we're talking about before this, just put in the doing everything you can to put the energy in the universe and the door is open now the ball I mean, you guys i'm telling you right now if you just could see yourselves from somewhere else and look at you guys and think oh my gosh look at how far we've come in the last year and a half or whatever i mean you've written books you've become a life coach you're doing a podcast you've I mean, you've done so much that I think, and what I teach in three principles is basically like, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to worry about. Everything is going to come to you when your mind is quiet and you're at peace and you're relaxed, you're going to have insights. And those insights are basically always going to tell you what to do. And you're going to see signs and you just, it's like the surrender experiment. You just kind of surrender and, and pay attention. And that's going to lead you where you're meant to be. I believe. I like that you say pay attention because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, thank you for saying that. And it is, it is a great, I mean, yeah, I, I wrote a story, an article yesterday, just about kind of my next steps, what I, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm still thinking about Japan. And a guy commented on Medium, just he's like, do me a favor and just be grateful for everything you have right now. I'm like, ah, oh, well, it's a good wake up call. So I, yeah, I and you, guys, you guys are just super ambitious. So I get it. You want to just have everything a little bit quicker, like now, but you're going to miss some of the, the beauty and how things are unfolding. And it's just all happening exactly as it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. I do believe it. That's for sure. Wow. I think I needed to hear that because it's so easy to get caught up in always looking for the next thing and constantly striving and grinding. And you really can miss out on what's right here in front of us. And yeah. And I've been listening to your podcasts and they're wonderful. And I'm also just 
just struck by how motivated and how, you know, scheduled. And I don't know that there's, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but like, is there enough time just to, to breathe and to let insight come in and to, to let things happen organically? Because I didn't learn all that until, I mean, I've always had tons of free time being an actress and stuff, but, and I never felt like I had to fill it. But especially lately in my life, I felt like it, since I've been doing three principles and stuff, I finally felt like it's totally okay just to be here in my house and of course out and about a little bit, but just to be like holding the space and supporting the people in my life that I feel like need the support because there's a lot of them and, and that's okay. I'm not doing 25 things. I'm not finishing the book I started. I'm not, you know, don't have a full coaching practice, but I'm just kind of holding the light and the support being the support. And that feels great too. So. Well, you're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, son. (laughs) Yes. Can you tell us more about the three principles? Because I really still don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) And that's totally fine because you've been hearing me talk about it or you haven't maybe been listening for years now, probably about what, three, four or five years. Um, So like I said, it's thought, mind and consciousness. Thought is obviously what we think. The mind is more the spiritual aspect of it all. And the consciousness is just being aware that thought creates everything in our life. Thought, according to three principles and me, thought creates our emotions and our feelings, right? Um, it's weird because we weren't taught that we taught it's kind of separate, but it really does, you know, anxiety comes from thought, even though we don't know that usually and the fear that anxiety is going to stay forever is what makes it, you know, really scary. Um, you know, when people are sick, that's really scary too. So you have the thought I'm going to die. I'm not going to be okay. It's all about thought and three principles is like about understanding that thought is illusory it comes and it goes and it flows but we when we're in a low mood so that would be like tired hungry triggered about something just in a bad mood when we're in a bad mood we tend to see the world out of a different filter and that's the time that we're really going to have low mood thinking and we're going to you know latch on to some terrible thought and let it snowball and create this horrible experience. So an example could be like, you're at the beach and you're having a great time at the beach and everything's wonderful. You're with your friends and all of a sudden a thought comes to your mind like, oh my God, I've got a test tomorrow. I'm gonna, what if I fail it? Oh my God, this is really awful. I I don't know what I'm gonna do. And suddenly it just consumes us, right? And uh, we're like panicking that then and and you can't have any fun and it ruins your day what if we knew what I teach and we realize that it's just a thought and you say to yourself I don't know what I don't know I don't know that that's true and it's probably not so I'm just going to let that slide on by and then you go on with your day that's the difference it's kind of like why latch on to one thought when it didn't make me feel good and thought isn't true anyway. That's very simple. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because so many of the things that I worry about never end up coming true. Mm -hmm. It's like you're afraid that in the middle of the podcast, the 
recording's going to stop or you go to give your speech and you forget everything. But when you look at how things have gone in the past, like it, it, it always works out. And no matter what, everything works out, even if we're dying. Cause then you just see your best friends and there you go up in heaven or hell or wherever you end up. <laughs> no, there's a funny joke that Sid Banks does tell about that, but I never say it right. But yeah. And then the other piece is that, you know, a quiet mind can solve any problems and a busy mind, you'll never come up with the answer. Like in the middle of the night when you're stressed out and everything seems dark and blurry and awful and like you're trying to figure something out, you're just not going to come up with the answer. And like when everyone's tired at work and the, the boss is saying, no, we got to stay an extra hour and figure this out. Well, what if he had just said, hey, let's go home now, get a good night's sleep, come back in the morning and see if anybody comes up with anything, right? So that's what it's kind of all about. It's just putting your mind at rest. It's like, there's nothing to do. You don't even have to meditate. I mean, it's great too, but you don't have to meditate. You don't have to do all these things that people are chasing to make themselves relaxed because when we have this understanding and we really get it, that there's nothing to worry about, it's just the thoughts in our head when we're in a low mood trying to freak us out, then you can just walk through life in that meditative state and much more chill. And when you have friends and family that understand this too, and that are supporting us, all the time in this kind of an understanding, it's just great. And that's what I teach. Can you speak on when, um, when you're in a low mood, like I have been in many <laughs> with you, mm -hmm. and when you just communicate that I'm in a low mood, it's not the best time to talk. Okay, so I'll give you an example of your brother, Duke. And remember how we used to fight pretty much every day right? We'd always be knocking heads every day. I'd say something he didn't like, or he'd say something I didn't like, and we'd just start fighting, and then it would escalate, and we'd just be in the screaming, or he'd run, you know, whatever it was. I mean, we did this until we both learned three principles. So basically, when somebody says something, and obviously it's in a relationship, any relationship, a romantic relationship, kids, friends, when we get triggered, which means we're upset we're going to have an emotional reaction because when we get triggered it reminds us of something from the past that upset us and it's still upsetting us so we're going to have an emotional reaction even if it happened when we were three years old and we don't even know why it drives us crazy when this thing happens so when somebody gets triggered the other person is going to start defending and a fight will ensue right but what if one or both of those people, it'd be great if both, and Duke and I both have this information now. What if we both say, stop, I hear your voice escalating, a fight is going to start, why don't we both just take a time out and come back to this when we feel better? And he'll usually say, but mom, no, this, that, I'm saying, stop, goodbye, and I go into my room. He does too now, sometimes he'll say, stop, but I've done it on many occasions. And we, we haven't had a fight in years because guess what happens when we're both feeling better. And sometimes it takes an hour. Sometimes it takes three days to feel better about that thing we were about to have a fight about. Then when we talk about it, we don't have any charge on it anymore. We're not upset anymore. And we can talk about it more like with love and with clarity. And a lot of times we won't even need to talk about it because we're like, remember when we were talking and he'll be like, yeah, that was just stupid. I was just in a bad mood. 
that's, I would say 90% of people fighting are because they're in a bad mood for one reason or another. And there is a book called The Relationship Handbook by George Pransky, one of my mentors, George and Linda Pransky. They're the most well-known three principles practitioners on the planet. They work with the UN and tons of people. Um, and you have to, when you do work with them, you go to their home in Seattle and you, and this is how three principles is different than regular coaching and therapy. It's sort of an immersive thing. So you stay with them for three and a half days and they, <laughs> three and a half days, they don't let you bring your work. If you're a, a big CEO, like, oh no, I have to work. He won't let you come because you need to clear your mind and do nothing when you're not working with, with them. So it's a different type of uh, a coaching situation, but it's, he says the thing that makes people happy, the difference between happy people and unhappy people are that happy people can identify thought and mood. And I'm telling you, it's changed, changed my life hundred percent. So that's kind of, did that help Benny? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm getting it. What about with me say, I don't really get angry and raise my voice. I kind of go inside and don't really talk. So you do what I used to do, which I didn't want to say that you do it, but you just said it. So I, I used to be a powder and I would say that you're a powder. So what happens to you <laughs> is you have a thought that upsets you, or you even say something outside upset you, like something that Duke and I were talking about pissed you off, you say sometimes later after you're out of that mood. So you let the outside experience disturb your peace and then you judge it. So you have a thought like, oh, mom and Duke are jerks for whatever reason. But then I probably shouldn't think that because that's mean. So you're judging your thought, which is actually anchoring it in even more. And then you're stuck with not only that negative thought that you had, that wasn't true, it was just a thought you were having in a low mood, and then you're judging it. So you even feel worse about yourself. Now you're not only mad about at us, but you're also mad at yourself. And you don't know what to say to get out of it because you're in a low mood. So all that I can offer when you get in that place, and when I get in that place, I would just say, hey, I told you to do this many times. This has nothing to do with you guys. I'm just triggered by something and I need to go be by myself till I get over it. And it might take you the whole day, but don't mope around the living room All right. <laughs> with all the venom coming out of you because that doesn't help anybody. So it's a weird thing to say, like, if you can't be cheerful around other people, then don't be around them. But why not say that? Like who deserves to be somebody around someone that's in a crappy mood and like George and Linda Pransky say the mentors for three P's like when they fight one of them will say we can't we can't have this fight right now and the other one will say well wait a minute I want to vent and then one of them will say well if you're gonna vent and I have to answer back then don't listen to my words and don't pay attention to the connotation of my voice because this is not my authentic self fighting with you right now this is the upset me fighting with you and nothing I say is real and they have that agreement that it's not nothing they say when they're in a fight can can be taken seriously it's not who they are it's not authentic that is such a cool concept to think of that you can essentially have an agreement with your partner that if a fight is escalating or a fight is ensuing 
you can essentially hit the pause button and say, let's revisit this when we are feeling like ourselves, when we're not in this down, depressed state of mind, when we're not our best versions of ourselves. When we're back to balance and you can even have a code word like stable, you know, two other, two other mentors of mine also, Rohini and Angus Ross, they, they went to my school or Rohini went to my school and she's a therapist and everything. And then she, she found three P's and they teach a lot and they do have a code word. I forget what it is stable, but she always talks about when they fight and he'll stick his head in the bedroom. Can we talk yet? And she'll say, no. And then the next day, are you stable? No, I'll tell you when I'm stable. And sometimes it takes days, but that's so important to know that we don't have to make up right now. Remember that old saying, don't ever go to bed in a, you know, mad. Well, the other part of that is like, don't talk about it when you still have negative energy on it. Cause you're not going to solve anything when you're in that mood. That makes so much sense. And it seems like such a smart solution, but how do other people respond to that? If they haven't, if they don't understand the three P's. It seems so simple, which three P's is. And that's why my best friend, Carrie, and I loved it so much because we like to say we're lazy and we don't want to have to process. We don't have to want to, we don't have to go through, go back to when we were 10 years old and relive that time that our mother burned us. And it was so painful then. Why do we have to go drag it out again? It's so simple, just as this is so simple. It is really the simplest form of, I don't, it's not therapy, but it's the simplest way to get through life and people can't believe that it can be that simple that i never have to have an argument again i never have to look at that situation that breakup whatever it was the same way because when i understand my thoughts and that i'm just choosing to grab on to this it's fake news it's not real this awful thought that this person doesn't like me anymore or this person whatever when I choose to, to focus on the thoughts and make important the thoughts that I want to. It's such a sense of freedom. And I think people are just blown away at first that it's that easy. And that's why I told Vinny, tell Greg to call me sometime. I just want to, you know, kind of like fill him in on this. And in case he wants a little more information, it's, it's so great. And the thing that George said one time when Duke was at the workshop too, he said, so many of you in here from around the world, this was in Seattle, You've all found three principles. You've come from so many therapeutic modalities, but you all end up here. And that's one thing about three principles that when people find it, I've noticed and he noticed, we don't keep searching because it's simple and so effective. It works with uh, addiction. It works with, um, you know, schizophrenics. It works with everything because once schizophrenics realize that it's not really they're not really hearing voices they're not really seeing all these spiders crawl on the wall it's just their thought it's liberating and i'm telling you they have rehabs popping up everywhere it's amazing i love it obviously yeah so that's it i mean it's a sense of freedom like there's many three p's couples that are doing huge things in the world and i'll turn you on to it but um when you have two people in a relationship that understand this it's bliss trust me i haven't been in a relationship with someone that understands it but i'm usually the one teaching it and when one person has the information you're still not going to have any arguments because it takes two to have a war it takes two to fight and i don't Mm -hmm. fight 
That, that's so interesting. And I will definitely be giving you a call to discuss yeah. this more, but I'm, I'm so glad we could do this because I remember the first time I met you was in Florence, Italy, when Vinny and I were studying abroad and yeah. only met you for that one night, but just hearing about your journey was so inspiring. And it's cool to see that despite all of your success, you're constantly searching for more and searching for new ways to reinvent yourself. And I love what you said earlier about sometimes you need to do less and just support the people in your life and just be there for them. Yeah. And that's enough. And it's service work. You know, everyone's like, how can I be of service? I, I have to go to these huge hospitals. I need to go to Haiti. I need to go to Africa and all this. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and film my TikToks. And if somebody, if it helps, well, I used to think I had to move mountains to be effective or important. And now I think if I just smile at somebody today, or if I, somebody asks me something and I say, Hey, you can call me and I'll give you a free session. Or, you know, if you see my TikTok or whatever, that's, that's all it's about for me at this point. Like I can be of service in my, my way. Everyone can in their own way. I mean, some people love to go to Africa and build houses, but you know, like, my teachers at USM, they said, that's not really our thing. We like to be in our little air conditioned room. You know, we need to, we like to be teaching here. So everybody's got their own specific way that feels good and feels comfortable to them to be of service. And that's important. I think at our age too, we've talked about this a lot, the need and the feeling like, you know, comparing yourself to people on social media that you have to do something huge immediately, but it's, it's a Jordan Peterson concept don't take on the world before you fix yourself and before you start small, fix your own life first, um, handle your family, make those relationships better before you start criticizing the world and, and believing you have to yeah, move mountains. And cause we, we fall into that mindset that we have to do something huge. And I keep getting the message. It's, it'll, whatever's happens is supposed to happen, but start small and focus with, just on the day at hand with creating meaningful relationships and this new job busting tables has been just the greatest lesson already of just every single day I'm working on my character and how can I be the best in this situation, which is usually, can I, this is what Greg has been inspiring me to do, just be more joyful and just silly in every situation. It's, it yeah. doesn't have to be such a serious thing to like when you know, my purpose, how am I going to do all the stuff? It's just enjoy wherever you are. Yes. And when you are asking yourself those questions, who am I? What is my purpose in every day? Don't judge that either. Some people just have a little bit more of a serious nature. My dad did, you know? Um, and like you said, you know, how do I become, did you say something like more perfect or whatever? That's the other thing I was going to say about three P's. It's like, we are all perfect but for our thinking, we're not broken. We don't have to heal. There's not a lot of work we have to put in, but we think we do. So mm -hmm. I'm here to say that we are divinely exactly as whatever you believe in, I believe in God, made us to be in this moment. There's nothing to do, but to own it. And if we're, you know, wondering what's our purpose, why are we here? If we're deep and deep and deep, well, that's cool. But yeah, if you could be a little lighter sometimes and that makes you feel good, great. But just don't judge any of it. Love it all. Do I have my necklace on? No, it's love it all. <laughs> and be your best cheerleader. I mean, if I were to say anything, 
that I keep at this point that I keep reminding myself is just, I am my biggest advocate, my best cheerleader. I give myself pep talks all the time. I mean, I'm human. I'm going to say, oh, I could be, you know, working out harder. I could be this or that or a little more ambitious. But at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, I'm doing pretty great. And I encourage everyone to have that that talk with yourself because there's a, enough negative chatter that goes on. So like offset it with the great stuff. And when you hear the negative stuff, just Bob Newhart used to say, just stop it. Just stop it, period. Mm-hmm. No need. It's not real. Stop it. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a phenomenal place to, to wrap it up. I mean, you, you stole my last question. I was going to ask you what advice you would give to your younger self, knowing what you know now, but it sounds like be your best, uh, be your own cheerleader is, is part of it. What else would you add to that? (sighs) Makes me cry. I would say, (laughs) um, that it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. (laughs) It is indeed. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on mother. (laughs) me every day that's one of the things about getting older is it's just like you really if you're in touch with your spiritual side which obviously we are it's like we don't take anything for granted not anything not a moment not how lucky we are you know it's it's just all so beautiful so just like see the beauty more in everything that you possibly can and if you don't that's okay too but you know, just appreciate where, where we are for sure. See the beauty more. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. You guys are great. (laughs) All right. I'll see you for dinner. (laughs) I wish keep it going. You guys, cause you're making a difference. I mean, if people could see, you know, what is possible with just jumping off that ledge, like I said, and not knowing where you're going to land, but taking a chance and knowing it's going to be okay, that it's okay to follow your dreams. It's okay to follow your passion. It's okay to have a side job as well, but don't give up on your dreams ever. 